in, uh, in the book of Acts, uh, NRSV has this great little, little statement, and uh, the early followers of Jesus are beginning to, um, to create a stir. That's, we'll just say that. And, and in the midst of this, uh, here's the only thing I, I, I really want you to, to notice in, in this story. Uh, the, the people who are noticing that these new disciples of Jesus are coming, coming in and proclaiming something really different, here's what they say when they get, when they get all kind of bent out of shape. These people who have been turning the world upside down. That's, that's how NRSV translates um, these, these early followers of Jesus. People who turn the world upside down. Uh, this, this phrase of like getting your world turned upside down, we use that sometimes, you know, to talk about things, something big happening in our lives, you know, met my significant other and she turned my world upside down, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And usually we mean it had a big impact, right? Something had a big impact on us. However, um, to talk about the upside down world, the upside down kingdom of Jesus, is actually talking about truly flipping something on its head. The more we learn about Jesus, the more that we understand that Jesus teaches us a way of being in the world that is very, very different to the culture and the realities and the assumptions that we often make in our societies, um, even within our own, our own selves. And so, so it's very appropriate to consider Jesus people, uh, people that live upside down in the world around us. Um, so, so that's what we're kind of reflecting on during this Advent season. Uh, what, does, what is the story that we are given, um, not, just, not just the Christmas story, but the grand story and the narrative, um, what, is, what does it teach us about a surprising third way to live in our world? So a couple weeks ago, um, Dwayne challenged our thinking and, and helped us take a look at salvation, not being all about the individual soul, nor all about societal change, but about God's heart to create shalom in the whole world within deep within our own spirits uh, permanently forever but also in our in our broken systems and in our broken places in our world and so it's not one or the other and then we looked last week at certainty and talking about how a a life of faith is not about um, airtight certainty about every little thing nor is it about like ambiguity that just leads us into nothingness it's about active trust with Jesus at the center okay so so this week, uh, we, we turn our attention to uh, what the, God, the kingdom of God teaches us about power, okay, about power and what we see in the early story of, uh, of even the, the birth of, of Jesus. What does it teach us about power? I had one of those uh, weeks where I felt completely powerless during this week in a whole bunch of ways. I was talking to a few of you beforehand. Our, our van broke down at the end of last week, and we were without it as a family uh, for the last eight days. And so we had my little hatchback for the five of us, trying to both cram our family uh, into it all the time, but also uh, navigate our schedules, which we failed miserably at multiple times, where we didn't realize that both of us needed to be at the same place. Um, and it just felt like powerless of the, the things that I wanted to get done, the things that I wanted to do, I just could not do. Um, and, then, uh, and then many of you know that I love to run. It brings me a lot of life and energy, and it's my prayer space. It's my, it's, it's my stress relief, and uh, I was feeling some pain this week, so I had to go into the doctor and take some time off, and so then I felt like, man, the one thing that I love to do like that, that is really, really healthy for me, I can't do that, right? I feel so powerless, and then other things happened in our world 
with someone I knew that was really disappointing, and it just felt like, oh my goodness, I just, I, I wish I could do something about this, but I can't. It's out of my control, and you just, you just feel really, really powerless. What are the things that make you feel powerless? Not rhetorical. Go ahead, call them out. We won't do catch box because it'll take too much time. I'll repeat them. What are the things that make you feel powerless in life? Parenting. Can't relate. Disagreements can make us feel powerless. Illness and death. Disrespect. Yeah, addiction. Yeah, lacking in patience. You just feel like, I wish I could get a handle on this stuff. What else makes you feel powerless? Politics. Yeah, overwhelming. Being blindsided. Yeah, feeling like couldn't see something coming that affects you a lot. Pain. Hmm. Chronic issues. Yeah. What's that? Personal bad habits. Yeah, things. Paul talks about that a bit, right? Um, in, in, the, uh, in his epistles, right? You keep doing things that you know are not healthy for you or not honoring to God and you just can't seem to get a grasp on it and it keeps, keeps nagging at you. You just feel like, ah, oh, completely powerless. Systemic oppression. Yeah, things that are too big to feel like we can even do anything about that are just overwhelming to us. Goodness. You have some, uh, you have some responses to that. Uh, I mean, not that any of us has that much power anyways, right? I mean, we're not, we're not very, very wealthy. We're not high-ranking officials, right? You know? And when we think about power, often there's this disconnection because we see ourselves as the ones without power. Uh, we, we, look, we look out there at the powerful. We know that part of the calling of Christians is to speak truth to power. You know, we, we elect people to put them in power or we vote to take power away. Right? So, so often there's this disconnect. Kings and presidents and politicians, they've got power. But so do you. And so do I. We just don't often define it that way. So, so let's define power as we get into this in this incredibly simplistic way. And, um, and this is where the memes start. But uh, let's just define power at this point. Oh, I just lost my connection, so I'm going to need you, Sean. We're going to define power as the ability to do things and influence people. All right? With Elmo to help remind us of the fact that we have power. So if we just define power really, really simply... What power is, is the ability to do things. The ability to influence people. All right? If we look at it like that, every single one of us has the ability to do things and influence people. Pretty much any one of you right now could literally stand up and start shouting at this exact moment. You, I see Nate. Stay seated. Nate wanted to do it. So, so like, the point is you'd be doing something and you would definitely be influencing us. Right? But you're choosing not to, at least at the moment. But, but the point is that, that we all have power. The question is, and, and, and granted, various levels. I'm the one with the microphone. Right? I have more power at the moment. So there's various levels of power, but we all have power. So a big question in our life is, what do we do with it? What does Jesus teach us about how to hold the power that each of us have? Um, and, uh, yeah, you need to, we need to go to the next one, too, because there's just, yes... And this is for my daughter, 
who's not even in here, but she, she has a lot of power in our house. Oh, good. I got my connection back, Sean, so we're good. Um, yes, if you can't see that. The f- thing that gives people power, feelings of power, money, status, or blown away by a cat choosing to cuddle over you over anyone else in the room. All right, so, um, so even though we all have various degrees of power, uh, the, the question is, what do we do with it and how, how do we hold it? We do have to acknowledge that those who have significant amounts of power are often really good case studies as what the normal responses are when we have power and influence. Okay? So we're going to look at the story in the book of Matthew for just a couple minutes. Um, and it's the beginning of Matthew 2. And I'm not going to do a ton of, of cultural historical background for this one because most of you are probably going to be fairly familiar with this one. If you're not... I would encourage you every single Advent season to read uh, straight through the, uh, the nativity narratives in Luke and Matthew because there's always something new that's coming out in there. But let's hop right to it. In Matthew 2, Jesus is born. So we're jumping the gun a little bit, sorry. He does end up being born. I know, spoiler. We'll, we'll hit it again on Christmas Eve. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, by the way, so um, I wasn't even going to mention this. So you, you want to talk about power being flipped? King Herod, king, right? Big guy. What is, what is his role in this first sentence? He's just a historical asterisk, right? It's so great. When Jesus was born, oh, just to, to help you out in terms of historically, it was the time of King Herod, you know, like not the main subject of the, of the sentence. But anyways, so, and they do that all the time in the scriptures, by the way. All the time, they take the powerful people and they just use them as historical markers so that you can know what's going on without making the story about them. But this actually does become about him. So, All right, so magi from the east. Magi were, um, were high-ranking officials, rulers. They weren't magicians, um, that, although it is where we get the word from it. But anyways, these, these travelers from the east who may have been kings and rulers, um, they or, or uh, people of high renown, okay, significant power, some, some astrologers would have been a part of, um, I'm sorry, astronomers would have been a part of that looking, well, it was kind of a mix between the two, actually, because they read the skies as well. But they find out about this, this thing, and they come and travel, and it's been months of travel, by the way. It's not, they don't get there the night that Jesus was born. So they say, where is the one who's been born the king of the Jews? They go to Herod, because Herod is powerful, and he's supposed to know stuff. He's supposed to know everything, right? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed, right? For many reasons. Number one, there's something going on that he is not privy to. He doesn't have all the information. This is news to him, all right? And Herod was this, like, he saw himself as as a champion for the Jewish people. So um, he, you can argue that that's not exactly what he was. But that's how he saw himself, um, because he was half Jewish. So when, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. This, this news of this, this new king, what? Okay. When he called together all of the, ch- the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So look, is, is this thing true? These people, what they've seen. And, and they say, yes, in Bethlehem and in Judea, or in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least, this is from Micah 5 too. No, uh, no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Actually, it's a, the first part of it's from Micah, and then they add the last part. But 
Then Herod called the Magi secretly. So Herod pulls them in, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report it to me so that I too may go and worship him. What a glimpse of character that Herod shows in this moment. All right. He finds out that there's going to be a king of the Jews that's been prophesied and born. He says, please, let me know so that I can join you in your worship. Now, if you read a little further, you will find out that he was not being completely forthright in this moment. Uh, He actually uh, wants to know, not so he can worship, but so that he can destroy uh, this young king, all right, so that he can eliminate him. And so, so what we get is we get a picture of someone whose power is threatened and how they respond, all right? So we're going to just hold off and just look specifically at, what, at how power is used in the most normative ways back then and still today, all right? I think these norms in Herod's life aren't specific to kings and rulers, but they're amplified because of the amount of power that they may have. I think they're norms in our, in our world. So the first way that we see power used um, is, uh, is to maintain control. Oh, man. Let's see if I can get this right. I spell just fine when I'm not on a whiteboard. Okay, I think that's right. So it's... it's One of the things that the temptation is when we have power and influence is to use that power to maintain control. All right? You use the power to keep the power. He has has influence, and so he wants to know everything about the, the situation, and then he wants to intervene in the situation in the way that's most beneficial to him. All right? Um, A second way that it's used is to elevate oneself. All right? So you maintain control to elevate oneself. When we see that there's this opportunity, there's two potential dueling kings, and Herod's immediate response is, I'm going to do, and like I said, with the whole story, I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep my power, the control, to keep myself at the forefront of this story, even if it means hurting another. Okay? So, so um, you know, he says he wants to go and worship, but he wants to keep himself as king, all right? And then the third thing that, that power often does um, or, or that power can drive us to do um, is, is to think about, let's see, what's the best way? Um, we'll just say advance, all right. To, so to maintain control, to elevate the self, and to advance one's goals, all right. So... So, he makes a little lie. He says, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But he wants to keep his glory. He wants to keep his expansion. He wants to keep all of his power. So, these are all deeply connected, as you can see. But the idea is that when when power is presented to someone, when they have significant amounts of influence, the temptations are to use that influence in some of these ways. To maintain control, to elevate yourself above others, and to advance your own agenda your own goals with whatever influence you can, whether that be amassing more money, whether that be um, gaining more influence personally, whatever that might look like. All right? So Herod has significant power. We've seen this. He can do lots of stuff. All right? He wants to control the situation. He wants to keep himself as king, and he wants to advance his goals of personal glory. All right? So he understands the power struggle. 
All right. That's my last meme, I promise. Um, so the idea of what power does is quite simple. This is not rocket science, friends. I was our guy who used to do tech before he finished his doctorate and moved across the country. I always used to look at him because he was literally a rocket scientist every time I said that. This isn't what Tyler does, friends. Okay, so, um, so anyways, here's the thing. When, when Herod misses the chance to keep his power, when he finds out that, that he fails because the wise men or the magi, when they discover what's going on, they go back a different way. They do see the baby, and we're going to talk about that in a second, but they go back a different way, and they never tell Herod where he is. So when Herod realizes he's been duped, he clings harder to the power, and he issues a decree to kill any child under two years, any boy under two years old. All right. And so, so this is his last-ditch attempt at trying to control everything, right? He continues to seek to advance his own goals despite acting like he cares about other people, the Jewish people, their hopes, and their God. It's still all about him because that's what power does. It enables selfishness to explode because if you use your influence right, you can get exactly what you want. So we know the temptations of power and we know the risks. So that's one side. So the second side then is should we run from power when it is given to us? Is that the correct response? Should we desire to hide from opportunities to be influential? Just kind of letting life happen and giving up whatever power we might otherwise have. Maybe sometimes. Maybe that is the appropriate response, but I don't think it's the whole answer. I think there's a third way that Jesus teaches us, and it involves uh, redefining how power is held and how it's used in our lives. And so we have to start with understanding what Jesus did with power as opposed to what the primary temptations might be in our lives. So let's go back to the, the Herod story for just a moment because that quote of the, prophes- of the prophecy uh, of Jesus is really important to us. Here's what he says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. That's okay, but here's the, the part that I want you to notice. For out of you will come a ruler... So there's the ruling, there's the power. Out of you will come a powerful person, a ruler, who will do what? Shepherd my people Israel. Now that word shepherd is very unique. It is what it sounds like. It's an agrarian term. It means the one who keeps sheep, right? But interestingly, the root of it is about care. The root to, the the verb to shepherd is about providing sustenance and health. So a shepherd is just called a shepherd because a shepherd shepherds sheep, right? Be like saying a doctor doctors people by healing them. And shepherding sheep means that he cares for his flock. And it's very interesting, that, and it should be noted, that this motif continues throughout the entire ministry of Jesus. Now you might say, well, this isn't that surprising. David was a shepherd, a shepherd that became king, Right? You know, and he's like the most famous of all the people in the Old Testament. He, well, you can argue, but he's pretty high up there. But here's the interesting thing. Two things about that. Number one, the view of shepherds had changed drastically in terms of their specific role in society by the time of Jesus. We're going to talk about that more next week when we talk about the actual shepherds in the story. But the second thing is that a shepherd becoming king is what? Is this beautiful journey in upward mobility, isn't it? Right? I mean, who doesn't love a shepherd becoming a king story? We eat it up. It's great. It's great. If I can uh, get some fresh whiteboard here. 
Maybe? Yes. All right. Um, here we go. So, so that's great. Um, a king becoming a shepherd, though, that's a bit more scandalous. A king that becomes a shepherd says, I'm going to take power and I'm going to wield it in a certain way. I'm going to use it in a certain way. And that way, let me tell you, is vastly different than any other rulers and any other kings at the time of Jesus. And I would say maybe than has ever been seen since. So, so it's, very, it's, it's fascinating to take a look at this and say, all right, so, so what we see maybe is, is something, a prophecy at least, that is starting to flip the understanding of how someone holds power on its head, right? So rather than to control, right? Uh, where's my good one? Which pocket did I put? There we go. All right. Someone just needs to track that so they can yell, it's in your left pocket. Okay. So, so a primary calling of using power the Jesus way is that you use power and influence to care. It's quite simple, but it's worth thinking about. Instead of to control, it's used to care. To feed, literally. To feed and sustain others. Think about the unique role of a shepherd. Watching making sure that this, his flock is protected, making sure that if someone is sick and ill, I mean, David gives us this beautiful passage in Psalm 23, this poem of the various roles of the shepherd, and look at how many of them are about care. So, so what if we understood that whatever power, whatever influence we had is intended to be used to care for others, all right? And, and with that, instead of elevating the self, what if we understood that as a part of that, our power was intended to be used to elevate others. We talked about the downward mobility of Jesus just a moment ago, this idea that, that to be um, significant in the kingdom of God is actually to relinquish some of your power or at least use it to elevate another, like leverage, all right? You know, leverage is when you take something that can get up higher easily like a hand, <laughs> my hand can easily raise up here, and you use a tool to go under something that can't be lifted up as easily, and you use what power you have to be able to elevate something that is not as easily elevated. From a social standpoint, I'm pretty easily elevated, right? As like a straight white middle-aged guy that has a middle-class job in the United States. My voice is heard more than other voices are. So what does it look like for me to sit there and say, okay, how can I use what voice I have to help elevate the brilliant, amazing voices that I've been learning about that haven't been listened to as much? So what does it look like for us to be people who take our power seriously if we have it and where we have it? And then third, uh, this one's going to be another contrast, obviously. What if we understood our power as advancing God's goals instead of advancing our own. I want you to take a look. Um, go ahead to the uh, Ephesians passage, if you would, Sean. Um, what we see about this posture in Ephesians 2. Oops, go ahead, back up. There we go. You can just hold it right there. That's the part I wanted to highlight anyways. Um, Ephesians 2, uh, Paul, or I'm sorry, Philippians 2, I keep saying Ephesians. Philippians 2, Paul is talking about the nature of the radical upside-down way of Jesus. And he says, you know, Jesus was actually God himself, theologically. And yet, 
what Jesus did was even though he had that nature of God's, of godness, what he chose to do with it was not to try to claim it in his human form. It was to actually be willing to take the nature of a servant and to enter humanity, which by, its, by, by nature, humanity is a less than than God. So Jesus, even by choosing to enter into the limitations of humanity, said, I'm willing to make myself less for the sake of elevating people, for the sake of lifting them up, for the sake of offering them the hope and the life and the heart of God with more clarity than has ever been seen before. And he didn't use it to his own advantage. He used it to care Look at the healing that he did. Look at the good news that he spoke to the poor. Look at the life he offered. Making himself nothing. Saying, Father, to you I commit my spirit. Saying, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. So, so there is a time where we understand maybe that, that um, actually giving up power is using power well in the kingdom. Uh, that, that final, this, this final uh, advancing God's goals, we're reminded that um, these things are not always antithetical to our own needs. You know, the promises of God sustaining us in the deepest ways are there. So in Matthew 6, 33, um, which you'll see on the screen here in just a moment, if we can get there. Can you hit that, Sean? There we go. Um, you know, is a very, very famous passage that, where Jesus is speaking himself. And he says, listen, if you're seeking first the kingdom, you will find that there is a depth of peace You'll find a depth of care from God. It doesn't mean that, that you'll have, you know, all the money that you need all the time. But I'll, I'll tell you, well, I'll tell you, if you seek first the kingdom, then you're going to do it within community. And if you're doing it within community, your needs do get met. So you can chew on that for a little while. But the idea that God will care for us as we prioritize care for his kingdom, care for others. And we will see it over and over again uh, being played out. So I encourage you to think, very, very carefully about this. Um, we have to understand, friends, that we've been sold a false bill of goods about what power is. And we've sometimes even given it Christian language, but it's not. Power the Jesus way gives itself away and lays its life down. You want to see power. Power is not picking up a gun and shooting somebody because they might shoot you first. Power is being the first to lay it down and stop the cycle of violence completely. Even if it's at great risk to you. Power is giving other people the benefit of the doubt with your words instead of tearing them down constantly whether they can hear you or not in the Jesus way. Power is choosing humility and thoughtfulness over quick judgment. Power is choosing restraint. God's agenda is a love that lifts and upholds, not dominates. And so like I said, real power might be using your influence for some of you to give, your own, uh, to give up your own voice for a bit, right? And, and shine a light on the brilliant perspective and dignity of people in our country right now that have not been given such dignity and who are required to prove their value in ways that I've never had to do. I was having a conversation with a beautiful, beautiful soul, um, dear friend of mine this week. Uh, she's a black leader. And, um, and we, 
and I got a glimpse of this firsthand. Um, you know what she said when we started talking about power? She said, everyone wants to talk about equality until it requires anyone giving up any amount of power. And relinquishing power for the sake of another is the hardest thing for a human being to do. And it's true. So our job in every area of our life is to trust the Spirit and to ask Jesus to help pry our hands off of the areas deep within us where we try to seek to control and elevate ourselves and in the world around us where we maybe, without even realizing it, have opportunities to empower the people around us. This reflects on parenting. This reflects on family relationships. This reflects on how we do our work, our job, how we exist in our neighborhoods and in our social groups and in our communities and in everything else that gets bigger from there. So um, I want to just encourage you uh, to hear as a reminder that this was the Jesus way. There's a great book called The Upside Down Kingdom by Donald Crable. It was written many years ago, um, and it changed. It had a profound impact on many of us. Here's what he says. The hallmark of Jesus' upside down kingdom was his willingness to spurn what was rightfully his. Instead of mimicking a typical king, Jesus worked from the bottom up. Rather than demanding to be uh, served, he offered service. Rather than dominating, he invited. As servant, waiter, and janitor, he ministered to those strewn on the city dumps. The powerful weren't amused. They were jittery, and they responded with their kind of power, a violent cross. Wielding power the Jesus way is uncomfortable, and it's exceedingly costly, and it's exceedingly beautiful. So as disciples, it's our opportunity to use God's power in ways that proclaim what is most true. And sometimes that makes us look and feel a little bit powerless, but it's not. It's power used for good, and it's power used for God. I find it really fascinating that at the end of his life, or near the end of his life, Herod uh, tried to take his own life. Um, his need for power had stolen his humanity and, and left him tragically empty. And at the end of Jesus' life, Jesus gave his life. Um, his willingness to sacrificially relinquish power was precisely the act that created what we might call the most powerful movement in the world. Though so many still struggle to wield that power in the Jesus way. Uh, there's one last image from the nativity story that I want to bring your mind to, and then we'll uh, have a couple minutes for, for dialogue. Um, and that is that when the Magi arrive, they bring gifts for the king. This is good. Just hold, hold this right here. Thanks. They bring gifts for the king, right? So these Magi give us this image of, of all of the powers of the world, which is what they represent. All of the powers of the world with joy laying down their their gifts, and recognizing Jesus as ultimate king, right? Even from the furthest reaches of the world, all recognize how truly powerful this child is, and it is understood as good news. And so, so um, this image is what we hear about, right, in the, f- uh, the final sentences of the Philippians passage that we just looked at, um, that therefore, by the way, is in light of Jesus not trying to claim power for himself, in light of the humility that he embodied as God's self, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's, uh, that's, that's, that's hearkening back to this moment of, of knees bowing in giving gifts to Jesus at the manger. It's so beautiful. Friends, one day all will eventually see that the power that Jesus shows and holds is the most beautiful force in the world. We trust that one day. Until then, carry on the work of the kingdom, friends. Carry on the tradition of Christmas. Take your power, reflect seriously on it, and use it right. Take the influence you have and use it to care and to uplift others and to move God's heart in the world forward. Repenting of the times that we dominate and choosing again to lay our lives down. It also means just leaning back in wonder at a God who showed the greatest power in the universe by completely giving it up in order to absorb the violence and the death and the sin of the world. Oh, goodness. And it came in an infant, the most powerless of all. You're powerful, friends. How are you going to use it? How are you going to use it? Let's pray. Jesus, we want to turn toward you in this moment. We want to turn toward you. We want to be available to your spirit, stirring us, changing us, challenging us, opening new doors for us to love and care for the world around us. Lord, help us to be people who are humble with the influence and the power that we have. And help us to not misuse it. Amen.